Where we left off was, and I'll just redo a little bit of it because it's always nice to have it somewhat seamless. But you know, anything you have to kind of, if you do this fifth, sixth part of something, you've got to pick up with the last part of the last one, make that the beginning of the next one so that there's a smooth flow. Because we get confused so easily, sadly. She's talking about the room in the soul. The room itself is light enough, but it cannot enjoy the light because it is prevented from doing so by these wild beasts and animals which force him to close his eyes to everything but themselves. This seems to me to be the condition of a soul which, though not in a bad state, is so completely absorbed in things of the world and so deeply immersed, as I have said, in possessions or honors or business, that although, as a matter of fact, it would like to gaze at the castle and enjoy its beauty, is prevented from doing so and seems quite unable to free itself from all these impediments." Everyone, however, who wishes to enter the second mansion will be well advised, as far as his state of life permits, to try to put aside all unnecessary affairs and business. This is very difficult for modern people. Very difficult. Now, I can understand if you're living in the Appalachian Mountains somewhere and you don't have electricity and you don't have flush toilets, you got to carry your water and you've got to start your fire in the morning to cook your food and you got to grow your food. I can understand that it would be easier for them. But for us, it's tough. It's tough because we are bombarded by the world with crap. I don't know how else to put it. Commercials, consumerism, the lifestyles of the rich and famous, better homes and gardens, all this stuff that excites the covetousness of man, excites the greed and the avarice of man, excites the hubris of man, so that he becomes totally immersed in that stuff. And then it becomes impossible to see anything that really matters. Because everything that really matters is something that can be seen, touched, tasted, smelt. When you're in it, it's like, you know, the little fish swimming alongside of its mother in the water. Mommy, what's water? When you're in it, you don't know. And that's the problem with modern men. He is so embedded in it that he can't see anything else. Of course, she wrote this a long, long time ago, hundreds of years ago. So it wasn't that way then. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have running water. They didn't have all the things that we had that we take for granted. They didn't have all that. So their life was a lot more difficult and a lot more simple because when your life is difficult, you eliminate a lot of things. For example, if you got to say you've got to go out and gather dead limbs from trees and then you've got to cut them up and then you got to make firewood out of that and you got to lug it into the house then you got to put it into your stove then you got to light your stove then you got to get this going that's before you can even think about heating water making any kind of food that's time consuming and you just don't have time for nonsense it's amazing how much time people have to have for nonsense and fortunately, all this that we have developed through technology has given us the time to waste our lives. I don't know how else to put it. Just given us the time to waste our lives. 
For those who hope to reach the principal mansion, this is so important that unless they begin in this way, I do not believe they will ever be able to get there. Nor indeed, even though it has entered the castle, meaning the soul, is the soul free from great peril in the mansion, which it actually inhabits. For being among such poisonous things, it cannot at some time or another escape being bitten by them. This is anti-modern Christianity. Because modern Christianity teaches that Christians cannot be and will not be bitten by these poisonous creatures. Again, remember, for the dull of wit and intelligence, this is a metaphor. You don't expect that there are spiders and snakes in your soul, dwelling in your soul. Not that you could find your soul with a stick, but it's a metaphor. So for people who take things literally, all I can say is move along. This is not for you. That's so funny. Think about that. Think about a Christian organization today that tells people to go away, go somewhere else. I mean, that is outrageous because you've got churches that the more people they have in them, the more proud they are. So if you've got a thousand people in your church or 2,000 or 5,000 or 6,000, you're a success. It doesn't matter what you're teaching. It doesn't matter what you're doing. That has nothing to do with anything. The only thing that matters is how many people you have and how much money you're bringing in and what you do with that money. And of course, the first thing you do with that money is you build a big, beautiful building for all those people to gather in. You only use it once or twice a week. That's okay. You build this multi-million dollar building and people use it twice a week and we call that progress. And then whatever you teach has to be something that will keep those people coming back. So you know right now it can't be the truth because you start teaching the truth and what happens is a culling you cull the people who are not interested in truth. They're interested in business contacts. They're interested in a husband or a wife or dating. They're interested in social gatherings. That's what they're interested in. That's what churches are used for today. They're used for, how can I say this nicely? They're basically holy meat markets. You get all these people together and you put them together in a room and they all start looking around to see who they can match up with. It's just what people people do. Their hormones drive them. And their hormones drive them to dress a certain way, to have their hair a certain way, to smell a certain way, to look a certain way, to walk a certain way, to smile a certain way. You can't just smile anymore. There was a time when people just smiled. But you can't smile anymore unless you've had your teeth whitened. Once you've had your teeth whitened, it's okay to smile. You have to have your teeth whitened. You have to have your teeth straightened. You have to have your teeth capped. You have to have all these things done. And then you got to go have a $60 haircut because you got to look just like everybody else. You got to look like everybody else or else how's anybody going to tell you apart from everybody else? So you got your teeth whitened and straightened. You got your hair cut and fixed up. You got your designer clothes on. You got all the, that's the important stuff. And then people come and they get together in these big holy meat markets and they start looking, okay, that's the one for me and that's the one, we'll try this one out and uh, wonder if that's a wide ride or a narrow ride. You know, we try it all out. Where does the truth figure into that? The truth is people are there for all the wrong reasons. That's the truth. You tell them that truth and they will be upset. They will be upset because they're hiding that truth from themselves. And there's an agreement. The agreement is, I won't tell you if you don't tell me. I won't say anything to you if you don't say anything to me. I won't say anything about your extramarital affairs if you don't say anything about my extramarital affairs. It is so far from what 13 men 
2,000 years ago, were going around a small area in Israel teaching. It's so far from that that if anyone had any idea of what that was like then, those 13 men and how they started off, they couldn't have an idea. But if they did, they would see that everything that we have today is nothing like what it was supposed to be, what it started off as. I figure the worst thing that ever happened to Christianity was Constantine. That was really the beginning of the end. Uh, Maybe not, but that really was the hammer that crushed Christianity. It's funny because people look at it as, oh no, that was the thing that made Christianity grow. No, that was the thing that made religion grow, but it didn't make Christianity grow. What made Christianity grow, and what always makes Christianity grow, is martyrdom, persecution, genocide. That's what makes Christianity grow. When you start to stomp them out, when you start to kill them off, when you start to persecute them, that's when faith is sparked. That's when divine intervention comes to play in the dealing of men, and that's when something happens. But nothing much happens until then. What happened after Jesus was crucified? People went into hiding. Christians went into hiding. They weren't really Christians back then. They were Jews. They went into hiding. Who were they hiding from? They're hiding from the same people we always have to hide from. They're hiding from the religious leaders. The religious leaders back then were also the political leaders. That doesn't happen so much today. In fact, it doesn't happen at all today, except for the Vatican. You have a religious leader who's also a political leader. But mostly now, religion and politics has been separated, at least the outer form. But there is still a state religion. Even though we have a separation of church and state, we still have a state religion. The state religion is science, and it's a religion. Because you have to believe. If you don't believe in the theories and the hypotheses, you can't play. So you've got to believe. So you've got to believe that there was nothing, and then all of a sudden there was a big bang, and then the whole universe just started to squirt out of that nothing and flew out into nothing and made something. If you can believe that, you can believe science. If you can believe that everything just happened according to evolution, that is the survival of the fittest and, you know, the weak and the sick and they all die off. And that's all true. But the problem is, is that's where it stops. It's like they take it from there, from after it was all created. They take it from after it was all created. And then they say, well, this is what happened. This is how it got made this way. This is how it ended up this way. That's true. In many cases, that's true. In a lot of cases, it's not true. But that doesn't really matter because we're never going to sort that out anyway. Because we can't go back millions of years and actually see what was happening. So we have to believe. you ever look into a microscope and see a virus? No. But you have to believe that there is such a thing. And what do we do? Well, we believe it. Do you, have you ever been able to absolutely prove that the globe is getting hotter and hotter all the time, that climate change is getting... No. You have to believe. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying you have to believe it. So that is a prerequisite for religion. You've got to have faith. You've got to believe that something you can't prove is true. And that's a religion. That's science, which is a religion. Sadly, it's a false religion. So she goes on to say, for those of you who are not aware, we're talking about Teresa de Avila. What would happen then if those who, like ourselves, are free from these obstacles and have already entered much farther into other secret mansions of the castle should, through their own fault, go out again into this hurly-burly? Okay, so what she's saying is, look, they're in there. They're a convent. 
This is not a convent like today. This is a convent like hundreds of years ago where it was rough. These women were living in little rooms, cold, dank little rooms, or hot, stuffy little rooms with just not very many amenities. They're doing what they do by candlelight, something we can't even imagine. You ever try reading by candlelight? It's tough. You've got to have good light and for your eyes to properly work. If you don't, then your eyes then strain. And strain and stress breaks down whatever you're straining and stressing. For example, I'm a woodworker. I know that when I'm working with a piece of wood, there's a certain point that, well, there are lots of points. If you're going to plane a piece of wood, you got to plane it in such a way so that the grain doesn't catch and tear out. So you got to know which way the grain's going. Unfortunately, the grain doesn't always go one way on a piece of wood. You can have a piece of wood a foot long and it'll have grain going two different directions in that piece of wood. You got to plant it this way from one side and then the opposite direction from the other side to get it to work out. So it's tough. And if you don't, you end up tearing out chunks of wood because it just doesn't work. Everything's the same. Metal's the same. Wood's the same. Stone is the same. Everything is the same. A stonemason has to make sure that when he's whacking on a piece of stone, he's got to know the grain of the stone. Yes, that's true. Just like wood, stone has a grain. And you have to go by that grain. And if you don't go by that grain, you end up with a big problem, just like you do with wood. Metal, same thing. Metal has a grain. If you don't go with that grain, you end up with a problem. So people don't know this because we don't know anything today because everything is done for us. By what? By people? No, people don't do anything anymore. They run machinery. That's what people do. People don't work by hand anymore. You can't make any money working by hand. It takes too long. It's too hard. Not only that, but God forbid you get calluses and cuts. You got all this stuff working against you. That's where we're at today. These people living in a different time, having a different set of rules to go by, they're not going by what am I going to wear today? How am I going to get my hair cut? Who am I going to be able to attract as a husband or who am I going to get for a wife? They don't have any of that. All of that has been wiped clean off the table. They don't care what they look like. They all just wear the same thing. They don't care what their hair looks like. It's covered. None of that matters to them. None of the things that are everything to us matter to them at all. So they are light years ahead of us. For us to get there is hard. For us to break away from all of this is hard. Should you? Is that what you're supposed to do? Should everybody live in a monastery? Should everybody live in a convent? Well, not according to Jesus Christ. According to Jesus Christ, you should be in the world, but not of it. So if you're in a monastery or a convent, you are sort of in the world. I mean, you're in the world, but you're certainly not of it. And the further you get away from that, the further you get away from that hub of the wheel toward the circumference of the wheel, the more you add to it and the more problems you have. That is, the more things that take you away from your goal. What is the goal? What is the goal of all this? Why are we doing this? Hello? That's right. What we want is to develop a relationship with our Creator so close, so intimate, that we have a constant conversation with Him. Think of it. A constant conversation with the Creator of the universe. He wants that with you. He wants you to talk to Him. And here's the hard part. This is the really hard part. He wants you to listen to Him. And that's where we fall down. We can talk to Him. We talk to Him all the time. People are praying all the time. Oh God, give me some money. Oh God, give me a wife. Oh God, give me a husband. Oh God, give me a big house. Oh God, I need a car. uh, Maserati will do, but 
I'll take a Mercedes if you have to. It's like that. That's where we're at today. Oh God, look at my wallet. It's only got $10,000 in it. Quick, fill it up. That, that kind of thing. So people are praying all the time. Well, who are they praying to? Well, they're praying to Mammon, the Syrian god of money. That's who Mammon was. You can't serve Mammon and God. You can't do it. You do one or the other. But these ladies, women, whatever they were, nuns, they cut all that stuff out. What would it be like, she says, if we went out again and all that? Our sins must have led many people whom God has granted favors to relapse through their faults into this wretched state. We here, so far as outward things are concerned, are free. May it please the Lord to make us free as regards inward things as well and deliver us from evil. This is the problem. We get away from the outward things. We're not there yet. That's just half of it. It's like meditating. You sit down to meditate. You take your time, you prepare your space, you set up your mind, you know that you're going to have this much time, that you're going to meditate, and you sit down. That's half of it. And the other half is trying to get your mind to stop torturing you, because that's what it does. Your mind torments you. Anything you want to do, your mind doesn't want to do, especially when it comes to sitting still and listening for your Creator's voice. The mind does not want to do that because the mind thinks it is the creator. Beware of cares which have nothing to do with you. Beware of cares which have nothing to do with you. In other words, don't worry. Who by worrying can add one cubit to his stature, one millimeter to his stature, one black or white hair to his head? You can't do it by worrying. Oh, now there will be the really smart people will say, Oh, yes, well, if you worry, you can create white hairs in your head. Right. And you know that to be true because you're so smart. See, we don't know. Why do people get white hair? Why do people get white hair? Why does a seven-year-old get white hair? We don't know. We say, oh, it's because of worry, oh, because of stress, oh, because of this, oh, because of that. We don't have any idea. Remember that in few of the mansions of this castle are we free from struggles with devils. Again, I'm not going to, I'm just going to touch on this. This is a tough one because we don't believe in devils. Modern man does not believe in devils. Science has shown us that its interpretation of the world is more accurate than God's interpretation of the world. What can I say? God says clearly there are demons, there are devils. There is an evil one who reigns over an empire of evil demons or spirits that want to destroy creation. They want to subdue it and use it for their own purposes, which is diametrically opposed to what God wants. God creates, and when he creates, he creates with whatever he created, everything that it will ever need to thrive and to grow and to become what he wants it to be. The other side, the enemy's side, all he wants to do is take away from that. So, like a mosquito. A mosquito delights in sucking your blood. That's what it wants to do. It wants to be, it's a parasite, and it wants to bleed you. That's what ticks want to do. That's what all these creepy things want to do. God, on the other hand, is just the opposite. He wants to fill the world with love, light, truth, and beauty. And how he does that is by giving. Giving, that's how he does it. How the enemy does his thing is by taking. You'd look at it and you think, well, that's great. That's exactly the way it should work. There should be somebody to give and somebody to take. Well, there is somebody to give and somebody to take. But the somebody to take is you. That's your job. Your job is to receive from God his blessings and then share them with others in order to increase them. 
But that's not how the enemy works. He is taking so that you can't share anything with others because he doesn't want it increased. He wants it decreased for you and increased for himself. Sounds like government, doesn't it? Well, it is. The only government that works is the government of God. He's got a hierarchy. He has a way that things work. For example, let's just let's just take an example. Here we are on this side of the equator. On this side of the equator, when you flush the toilet, the water goes down counterclockwise. When you fill up a sink and you pull the drain plug out, the water swirls counterclockwise. Interestingly, when you get on the other side of the equator, it does just the opposite. It then swirls clockwise. There's an order to everything, and that order has been established by God. What he says is, look, this is the way I've set it up. If you want your life to be easy, if you want your life to be plentiful, joyful, if you want your life to be wonderful, follow the natural order that I have established. If you want your life to be hell, go against that. It's not like God is saying, if you do this, I will kill you. He's saying, if you do this, you will kill yourself. It's just like planting that piece of wood. You remember that piece of wood I was planting? You go one way and then you can only go so far that way and then it starts tearing out the grain. You've got to start from the other side, playing that way. That's the order. That's the way it works. Well, man has figured out that brute force can often, for a while, overcome that. So we have ways of doing things. We use brute force to do it instead of going along with the natural order of things. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from this idea that we can dominate everything, that we can control everything, that we can make everything do what we want it to do. And this is the exact opposite of what God wants. He wants us to do what he wants us to do, and he says, look, I created you. I know what you're for. I know everything about you. I know your weaknesses. I know your strengths. I know how you will be happiest because I made you to be happy and to be a friend of mine. Think about that. Abraham was a friend of God. David was a, a man after God's own heart. Moses was a servant of God. You know, you look at all that and you think, wow, creator of the universe has an interest in you, a serious interest in you. And the interest in you is that you become all that he meant for you to be. To me, that's pretty awesome. You know, I think of that and I think, wow. She goes on to say, it is true that in some of them, the wardens who, as I think I said, are the faculties, have strength for the fight. But it is most important that we should not cease to be watchful against the devil's wiles, lest he deceives us in the guise of an angel of light. Good. That's great. Wasn't bad enough. You know, he was just this wicked thing. But now he can appear as an angel of light to further deceive you. How do you make it out of that? Let's consider that. To stop counterfeiting. Yeah, that's what the Secret Service is for. They go after counterfeiters. That is, people who counterfeit our money. It's obvious why we do that. But how do they do that? You would think that they would study counterfeit money. No, they don't. They study real money. They know real money so well. They know so much about real money, what's printed. They know so... When I say real money, I don't mean real money. Because it's not real money. It's fiat money. But they study the authentic article. And then that makes it easier for them to pick out counterfeits. The same thing works here. If Satan masquerades as an angel of light, that's the same thing as someone counterfeiting a $100 bill, which I don't think they really do. I think they counterfeit 20s. They counterfeit 20s because, well, it's harder to, it's just harder. It's not harder to counterfeit them, but it's harder because there are so many 20s compared to hundreds that who cares about a counterfeit $20 bill? 
All right, so if they study the real deal, then they can pick out the counterfeit like that in a snap. It stands to reason then, if you study the real deal, that is God, then it'll be real easy to see someone masquerading as an angel of light. That's what I'm saying. And I believe that that's the way it works. And if you don't believe it, well, that's fine. Then don't believe it like I care. For there are a multitude of ways in which he can deceive us and gradually make his way into the castle. And until he is actually there, we don't realize it. What does this mean? The castle is the soul. How can he enter the soul? He gets a ticket from us. Come on in. And how does he do that? We just pretend he's something that he's not. And if you don't know the difference, you're done. Your goose is cooked, as it were. As I told you before, he works like a noiseless file. Metal on metal makes noise. A noiseless file, can you imagine? It's like a noiseless saw or a noiseless, you know, any tool. Doesn't make any noise. Here it is cutting away at a piece of metal, but it's not making any noise. So as I told you before, he works like a noiseless file and we must be on the lookout for him from the beginning. In order to explain this better, I want to give you several illustrations. He inspires a sister with yearnings to do penance so that she seems to have no peace save when she is torturing herself. Remember, this is a couple hundred years ago and these are Catholics and they're also nuns. So torturing themselves is something they did all the time. I don't know that the Catholics, the Catholics did not invent self-flagellation. How I know that is long before there was ever Christianity, there was self-flagellation. The priests of Baal used to cut themselves and the blood flowed. That was their thing. They would dance around and get in this frenzy, this frenzied trance, and then they would cut themselves with knives and the blood would flow. And then supposedly that would get their God pumped up to listen to them. You may look at that like, what a bunch of baloney. But actually, the truth is, where is the life in the blood? So what is a mosquito after or a tick after? They're after the blood. Well, they're after the life because they get their life from your life. Demons are the exact same way. They get their life from your life. So when you are sacrificing your life to them, they're getting their life. They're feasting on that. Does that mean they're drinking your blood? No, it doesn't mean they're drinking your blood. It means they are getting the life out of it, out of the sacrifice, out of your will to do them service. Trying to make this clear to a modern man is very difficult because we can't believe it. We can't believe there are spiritual beings that are using us like cattle. They're parasites. They are using us like cattle. They are taking our force, our life force, and they're strengthening themselves with it. In other words, they're nourishing themselves with it. So as we get weaker, they get stronger. As we get weaker, they take over more and more and more of us. The more of us they take over, the less of us there is. The less of us there is, the more of them there is. How do you get a spiritual being onto the physical plane? That's how. You want to get a spiritual being on the physical plane, you've got to give him a physical host. I don't know. I think if we, if we thought about this too much, we'd really be scared. <laughs> you know? It's, I mean, seriously. It's, it's terrifying. The idea is just terrifying. Look at people today. The idea, just the idea of this Chinese virus has got people absolutely terrified in a panic. There is no evidence that it's going to kill them. There's no evidence that they got it. There's no evidence they're going to get it. And as a matter of fact, they're finding that many, many people have already had it and they never knew it. That's how horrible it is. It's so bad that if you get it, you don't even know you had it. 
I'm sorry, but that's the truth of it. What's the big fear? The asymptomatic people. What does that mean? The people who don't show any symptoms, who are walking around with it. What's the big fear? They're spreading it to other people. Yeah, they are. They're spreading it to other people. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But that's the big fear. People without symptoms are going to spread it to other people, and those people will have symptoms. It's like, okay. You know, it's Tigger logic as far as I can tell. Tigger, you remember Tigger from Winnie the Pooh? Okay, Tigger logic. Being a Catholic, they loved their penance. They loved their self-flagellation. There were monks who nearly bled to death beating themselves. And it wasn't enough just to whip themselves. Then they had to put little lead tips on the, on the whips to really bleed, you know. When you think about it, it's pretty weird, but it's just, it's nothing new. The Baal worshippers did the same thing, and before that, they did the same thing, and before that, they did the same thing. When they were offering their children as a sacrifice to these demon gods, they got results. This is the thing that people don't understand. They got results. You read in the Old Testament about David's army going against this town and And the king of the town, when they were losing the war, the king of the town went up on top of the wall and sacrificed one of his children. And that turned the battle against the Israelites. What can I say? That's what it says. I believe it because I know that there is a spiritual force of evil in the universe. I've seen it. I've felt it. I've had to deal with it, just like everybody else has had to deal with it. But if you don't see it, and I don't mean see it, but I mean see its footsteps in the world or its footprints in the world, then you haven't seen it. But you still have to deal with it. But people don't know they're dealing with it because it doesn't exist in their minds. So she says about the um, yearnings to do penance, seems to have no peace save when she is torturing herself. This in itself is good. But if the prioress has ordered that no penance is to be done without leave, and yet the sister thinks that she can venture to persist in so beneficial a practice. Now, she's so steeped in this thing, this Catholicism thing, that she thinks self-flagellation is a good thing. She thinks it's beneficial. Now, let's, let's look at that, and let's try and be fair about that. To deny the flesh for the right reason is a very powerful thing. I will just take two examples. Prayer. When you pray, when you sit down to pray, you are denying the flesh. The flesh doesn't want to do that. The flesh wants to get the hell up and go do something fun. It doesn't want to sit down and be still for a certain amount of time. It doesn't want to do that. That's the first thing. So denying the flesh is a necessary thing. We can't do everything that the flesh wants to do. For example, somebody makes us angry. We want to kill them. Well, if you deny that urge, you will stay out of jail. If you don't deny that urge, you will go in the army or whatever. But if you deny the urge, then you don't murder somebody. And if you don't murder somebody, you stayed on God's side. Let's put it that way. If you do murder somebody, you've joined the other team. You're now playing for the opposition. Now, let's take that a step further. If you hate somebody, it's the same thing as murder spiritually. Now, that's really terrifying, which is why you don't hear much about it. If you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her, according to Jesus. That's another tough one. Who then can be saved? Well, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. When we start to segue over to the spiritual side, it gets really difficult. It gets really subtle. It gets really fine and misty and mystical because we're used to the coarse, solid, heavy, thick, carnal world. 
she goes on to talk about this. She's not allowed to, the prioress or the whoever's running the show in the convent has ordered that no penance is to be done without leave. But the sister thinks that she can venture to persist in so beneficial a practice and secretly orders her life in such a way that in the end, she ruins her health and is unable to do what her rule demands. You see what this apparently good thing has led to? Denying the flesh, and take, I said I'd give you two examples on denying the flesh. One was obviously prayer. The other one is fasting. If you fast long enough, you realize that so much of your life is superfluous. You realize that you spend so much time cooking, thinking about food, thinking about what you're going to eat next, thinking about what you'd like to eat. All the foodies are all, yeah, yeah, their heads are going up and down now. It's so funny to me. It's clear that I'm not a foodie. It's clear that I'm skinny. It's clear that I, you know, I wear baggy pants because I can't find any pants to fit me. And, you know, I got my belts notched down and I look like a bag lady to some people. And that's fine. I don't, you know, I don't care, but I just don't eat a lot. And I don't care to eat a lot because I don't need a lot. The problem is people don't think, what do I need? They don't think, what do I want? Well, I want this. Well, I want that. I, I want to eat this. I want to eat that. Because why? Well, because it tastes good. I don't eat for taste. I eat for nourishment. I know. The concept is incredible. It's like going to the gas station and taking a shot of the gas you're going to put in your car and drinking it to find out if you want it or not. You can see how insane that is. You wouldn't do that. But yet, we will go and try this food or that food. Oh yeah, that one tastes good. That's the one I want. To pay no attention whatsoever to how much salt's in it, how much sugar's in it, how much corn syrup's in it, how much pesticides are in it, whatever else that they put in food, how processed it is, how far they can get it from the natural state. We are so conditioned that if we go to the grocery store and we find a tomato that has a spot on it, we won't buy it. This is funny. In Japan, they will pay 30% more for a vegetable or a piece of fruit that has bug bites on it. Just the exact opposite of us. We will pay 30% more if it doesn't have bug bites on it. When I say pay 30% more, I don't mean the initial cost. I mean what it costs us physically to eat that garbage. Because here's how it works. If a vegetable or a piece of fruit, if a bug won't eat it, only a human will. And a human will base it not on whether or not it's good for you, but whether or not it looks good. Whereas in Japan, they say, I don't want a piece of fruit or a vegetable that a bug won't eat. If a bug will eat it, it's safe to eat. Can you see the mindset, the difference? If you tried to sell that in America today, you would be laughed out on your ear. People will not do it. They will not. It's got to look good. It's got to be the right color. So what did they do? Well, they inject it with food colorings. They wax them. They spray things on them to make them stay and look the same. How many of those things are good for you? Not many. What do we find out about red dye number two? Is that the one that was a, the big problem that they were pumping into everything? They're killing people with this stuff. When they die, they look good. Die young and leave a good-looking corpse. That's the American way. It's insane, but it's what we have been programmed, literally programmed, to believe. When did this start? When did people get this radical, insane idea in their heads that food should look good and that's the only thing that matters and that whether or not it tastes good whether or not it has minerals in it whether or not it has vitamins in it whether or not it's nourishing whether or not it's tasty who cares as long as it looks good 
60 years ago, we had soil. Not a lot of it, but we had some soil with nutrients in it. And we took care of it so that the fruits and vegetables could take that out of the soil and put it into their bodies. And then when we had the fruits and vegetables and ate them, we were taking those minerals and vitamins and putting them into our bodies. That's the way it worked. It doesn't work that way anymore because we're so short on soil. They say that it's, what was it, 400 tons of topsoil. You can lose 400 tons of topsoil a year per acre and it's still okay. It takes 100 years for the earth to produce one inch of topsoil and they're willing to flush 400 tons per acre every year. Something's wrong here. And what's wrong is our way of doing things. What's wrong is our way of thinking about it. But that's neither here nor there. Another sister is inspired with zeal for the greatest possible perfection. This again is a very good thing, but the result of it might be that she would think any little fault on the part of the sisters a serious failure and would always be looking out for such things and running to the prioress about them. Sometimes she might even be so zealous about religious observances as to be able to see her own faults. And this, the others observing only her zeal about their misdeeds and not understanding the excellence of her intentions, might well take none too kindly. Modern example. You have the panic porn today. It's actually an addiction now. The panic is an addiction, just like pornography is an addiction. People start watching, reading pornography, and it gets deeper and deeper and more and more twisted and more and more dark. And they have to have more and more excitement because it wears off quickly. So they become addicted to it. Same thing as a drug, exact same thing as a drug. Start off taking a drug. You don't get addicted by shooting up heroin one time. You do it again and again and again until the body says, okay, that's what I want all the time. Then you're addicted. Then if you try and stop doing it, your body says, oh no, and it rebels and it causes havoc in your life, which is why so many people are addicted to so many things. Pornography is the same way. You take a little bit, a little bit more and a little bit more. It takes a little bit more the next time and you start to build up an immunity to it just like drugs. You start to build up a tolerance to it and you have to have a little more and a little more to get to the same place, to get the same buzz, to get the same feelings, to get the same euphoria. And then you're addicted. That's the way people are with panic porn today. It has become an addiction. Panic has become an addiction. So now we have apps for your phones so that if you see somebody who scares you out in the world, they won't stay six feet away from you. They won't wear a mask. They won't not come near you or touch you and the people panic and fortunately the, the government now has apps that you can turn them in so that the secret police can come and arrest them and take them away and now that we've released all the criminals from prison we have lots of room for the people who are scaring you i know it's orwellian it really is but since most of the people who are listening to this have no idea what orwellian means i will just laugh if they wanted to know, they could find out. So if you want to know and you don't know, do some work and find out. Otherwise, I got nothing for you. The devil's aim here must not be made light of, for he's trying to bring about a cooling of charity and love. What is the purpose of this pandemic? It's to separate people. It's a cooling of charity. How uncharitable is it to turn your neighbor in for not doing what you want them to do? For sicking the secret police on your neighbor because your neighbor didn't do what you wanted them to do. There's no charity in that, people. 
There's no charity in that at all. The cooling of charity and love. And if he could do this, he would be working a great deal of harm. This is what the enemy wants. He doesn't want charity. He doesn't want people taking care of each other. He wants people biting each other, tearing each other, stealing from each other, harming each other. That's what he wants. What does God want? God wants you taking care of each other. What's his big thing? True religion. Take care of the widow and the orphan and the poor. Where's that going on? Well, all the Christian churches are doing that. Not. Moving right along here, we have this state today where we are cooling charity and love. You can't go visit your kids. You can't go visit your grandkids. You can't leave your house. You can't have friends over. You can't do this. You can't do that. All these things you can't do. All because of this panic. The numbers don't support the panic. They simply do not support the panic. It's a manufactured panic. Just as if the devil were directing it to cool charity and love in people so that they're willing to turn their neighbors in for minor infractions or imagined infractions or because you made me feel afraid. I don't know when people started wearing the dials to their emotions on the outside so that other people could walk up and turn the dials all the way up to fear, turn the fear up all the way. But somehow people have got their dials on the outside instead of the inside so that they no longer control the dials. Now, everybody around them controls the dials. And not everybody around you means you well. Not everybody around you has goodwill toward you. One out of three people that you randomly meet anywhere don't like you on sight. On the other side of that, two out of three do. Or at least they don't not like you. you need, they may be just neutral towards you and one may like you just on sight, which is pretty sweet. But when you think one out of three don't like you on sight and you haven't said anything or done anything, they just look at you and they don't like you. You can see that charity and love are going to be cool. It's like the Bible says, you know, in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. Well, geez, the love of many is growing pretty cold. I'm not saying these are the end times. I'm just saying that the love of many is growing cold. The love of many has grown cold lots of times throughout history. Lots of times. And it will lots of times in the future. Let's realize that true perfection consists in the love of God and of our neighbor. The royal law. Love God with all your heart and all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, really, if you think about it, you're really pretty good to yourself. You don't starve yourself. You don't push yourself too hard. You don't harm yourself deliberately. A lot of people harm themselves accidentally or unconsciously, but not intentionally because you love yourself. What God is saying is, well, love your neighbor that way. Don't harm him intentionally. Don't push him too hard. Don't do those things that you wouldn't do to yourself. So if you're hungry, you usually eat. If you're tired, you usually sleep. Allow those same things to your neighbor. And the more nearly perfect in our observance of these two commandments, the nearer to perfection we shall be. Stands to reason. God says, if you would be perfect, love God with all your heart and all your soul. Love your neighbors yourself. That's it? That's all I have to do? That's it? That's all you have to do? Just in case you hadn't noticed, that's really hard. I mean, so many people do things that are so unlovable. Really, think about it. So many people are not loving them, their neighbors as themselves. So it makes it really tough for somebody who is loving his neighbor as himself. So what does Jesus say about that? Pray for those who carry you away by force and persecute you. Well, that sounds like a low percentage thing to do. So God obviously is really serious about this stuff. Our entire rule and constitutions are nothing but means which enable us to do this the more perfectly. So how did convents and monasteries arise? Well, 
people said, okay, look, this is what God wants us to do. How are we going to do that? And so people got together who wanted to do that, and they put their heads together, and they said, well, we could do this, well, we could do that. We could organize ways to take care of the widow, the orphan, the poor. We could find ways to clothe them and feed them. We could find ways to produce more so that we have something to share. Of course, we don't think like this today, but people do. There are people who do think like this today. It's just that they are such a fractional minority, I mean, a fraction of humanity that actually think like this, that it looks like people like that don't exist, but they do exist. There are people who really do exist on this planet who that's what their aim is, and they're doing something about it, but they're not very many, and they're easily overlooked and mostly ridiculed. So they got together and they just said, okay, well, this is what we need to do. So then they figured out, well, if I do that, I'm going to have to withdraw from all these other things. I'm going to have to stop going to the movies. I'm going to have to stop going out to eat. I'm going to have to stop all the things you have to stop or pare down dramatically so that you have time for loving your neighbors yourself. Takes time. Takes time and it takes energy to love your neighbors yourself because your neighbor is not lovable as a rule. Because your neighbor is flawed as a rule. And in our culture, just like the apple has to be perfectly red and shiny and can't have a spot on it anywhere for us to buy it and eat it. So they get the apple, they pick it when it's green. Incidentally, in case you didn't know, apples don't have the nourishment, the vitamins and the minerals in them until they're ripe. Since they're picked before they're ripe, they are picked devoid of the minerals and vitamins. So the best apple that you can get is the one that fell off the tree. Then you go over, you pick it up off the ground, you wash it off and you eat it. You got the most that you can get out of that apple. So what do you think you're getting from the apples you buy at stores? Right, you're getting reamed. You're buying color, you're buying size, you're buying the wax that they put on them to keep them looking that way. That's what you're buying. But you're not buying nourishment. So it's like going to the gas station and putting inferior gas into your car. What happens? Well, it doesn't run right. It knocks, it pings, and it loses power. It's hard to start. And it also is really difficult on the parts. Your spark plugs and all the different things, it's really hard on them because it leaves a lot of garbage behind because mostly it's garbage. So it's the same kind of thing. She says, let's refrain from indiscreet zeal, which may do us great harm. Let each one of you look to herself. As I have said a great deal to you about this elsewhere, I will not enlarge on it further. The most important thing here is let each one of you look to yourself. You got to look to yourself. You have to straighten yourself out first before you go around trying to straighten anybody else out. Now, that's the exact opposite of the way we do things. The way we do things is in order to deflect from our own flaws, sins, insufficiencies, we find flaws and sins and insufficiencies, shortcomings in other people, and we point them out there. And that keeps us busy doing what we should be doing to ourselves. It keeps us busy doing unto others as we do not want them to do to us. That's the human condition. If you don't know that, I pity you because clearly you don't want to know. I mean, that's why people don't know. People don't know because they don't want to know. 
How do we know that? Well, the Bible is very clear on this. All of creation shows you that there is a good, powerful, wonderful, loving God who has established everything. If you can look at that and not see him, then you are deliberately blinded and obtuse, deliberately obfuscating so that you can keep your sin. Why is it that when the light came into the world, the world rejected the light? Because the world's works were evil and they wanted to hide their evil works in the darkness. So they rejected the light. They wouldn't come into the light. Let's just take a more subtle thing. We were talking last night after dinner about, I told somebody, I invited them for pizza on Sunday, but I said, it's only during the lockdown. There's no longer an invitation after the lockdown. And they wrote back and said, well, after all this is over, then we'll come. And I thought, obviously they didn't read it or they just ignored it or they thought, oh, he couldn't mean that. What kind of a person says this invitation is only for this time, but it's not for that time? That's not nice. And somebody, we won't say who, but everybody knows who, went, oh, because that's a mean thing to say. Don't you think he's mean just a little? So because I said this mean thing and I said, well, I'm sorry, but I don't get this. I told the truth and I'm being criticized for telling the truth. I told this person what I wanted. I'm being criticized for telling this person what I want. How does that work? This is so insane, it's beyond my comprehension. I can't I can't believe people think like this. But they do. I heard it right there. They were there they were. Okay, let me try and explain it to them. I'm telling the truth. Telling the truth is a good thing. Well, but people will think you're a bad person. I don't care what people think. People can think anything they want to think, except that they don't want to think. People don't think what they want to think. They think what they think. They think any thought that blows into their head. They think any thought that falls into their head. They think any thought that gets in their ear and gets to their head, that somebody else told them to think. People don't think what they want to think. You know this, you meditate. You don't think what you want to think when you're meditating. You can't stop the thoughts. It takes a tremendous amount of discipline and perseverance to not think the thoughts that you don't want to think. How do you do that? It takes years to learn how to do that. Who's got years for that? Nobody. Very few people. So anyway, the upshot was I was a bad person because I told these people the truth. It's just hilarious to me. You're a bad person. You told the truth. Lie like us and make everybody happy because everybody's happy with lies. See, I'm not. If you don't like me, okay, so what? One out of three people doesn't like me on sight. You get to know me and you don't like me. So what? I don't care. Why don't I care? It's stupid to care. Can I change you? Can I make you like me? This is what lies do. Lies are to make people like you. That's why we lie. We lie to hide the truth, to manipulate people, and to make them like us or make them inclined to do what we want them to do, which is manipulation. That's the purpose of a lie. The purpose of a lie is control, domination, manipulation. So I refuse to do that. So that makes me a bad person. That makes me an evil person. Telling the truth, this is how screwed up the world is. Telling the truth makes you a bad person. Lying makes you a good person. What does the Bible say about that? That they will call light darkness and darkness light. That they call truth a lie and lie the truth. That's where we're at today. And it's so pervasive that in our own group, we have that, Aw, you're mean. You told them that? Yeah, I told them that. I want them to know. Look, you want to be my friend? You better know who you're making friends with. And this is who you're making friends with. 
I will invite you to do this to get you outside your comfort zone. But after this whole thing is over, there's no purpose in having you do this to get outside your comfort zone. So forget about it. I'm doing you a favor. I'm giving you the opportunity to not give in to panic porn, to act like a human being, to act like a real human being and take your own life in your own hands and be responsible for yourself. I'm giving you the opportunity to do that. If you take that opportunity, good for you. Hooray. If you don't, so what? No skin off my nose. God, again? Every time I turn around, it's time. And it's time. Mm -hmm.